Welcome to the Sound Centric Podcast. I am your host, Adam Dash. And today I am joined by one of my favorite writers ever. I just told her that she got me through my college lectures because I would just read her articles on djbooth.com. She is the author, author of the Book of Mac, a book that has been sitting on this podcast since the first episode, a book that will make you cry, laugh. And if you're a Mac Miller fan or just a music fan, there's excerpts from amazing artists such as Just Blaze, Kehlani, Wiz Khalifa, Rhapsody, Fonte, Skyzoo, Sid, Thundercat, uh, Ian Rexauer Wolfson, who's the music video, makes the music videos for all of Mac, Quentin, his tour manager, one of his best friends. This book is so amazing. And now she's writing a new book about emo rap, which we're excited to see the release of in 2024. But Donna, welcome to the podcast. Oh, that's a great intro. I appreciate all of the uh, all of the love. Yeah, I mean, it's nice. Like I was telling you before we started, it's great to know that people read what you write. So I'm really happy to be here. Yeah, and if I could give uh, a quote to get people to want to read this book, some beautiful wording. This is on the second page. I want you to know that I have read this book multiple times. I just really like the quote that happened to be at the beginning of the book. You said, people might think Max saved my life, but Mac did something so much more important. You show me exactly how I could save myself. And I thought that was such a beautiful way of talking about Mac Miller. I'm sure you could hear endless stories from every single person who's ever listened to him about how much he's saved them and made them feel better. And the best part of the book is the fact that in hip hop and just media in general, we can sometimes want to make narratives about an artist, especially when they were in the public spotlight. And I think this book does an amazing job at showing Mac the human. It literally it made me cry when I was reading it last night. And I'm like, I want my friends to talk about me the way these guys talk about Mac. It was so beautiful. And yeah, I mean, just thank you for bringing this to the world and the Book of Mac series you did on DJ Booth after the year of his passing. But really, thank you for that. Yeah, thank you. I mean, it's it's kind of like I just had to do it. You know, it it was such a like grief response, obviously, because it was such a tragic, sudden death. But when I realized that other people were responding to his music and responding to my writing and the way that I responded to his music, and I saw this community forming around him and the writing even after he passed, that was mind-blowing. I never expected that. You know, when I sat down to write the first article um, in about him that I ever published in, I think, 2018, I never thought that, you know, by 2021 that I'd have a book about him. And the only thing is that I wish that he was still alive, you know, but that's, can't yeah. play God. I mean, the music that that man would make, there's no one who liked collaborating. I mean, you write in the book, he's a musician's musician. And I mean, that tour he was going to go on Thundercat and JID, I mean, that's like my other goat, JID. That was something I was extremely excited for. But I wanted to start by hitting you with some quick fire questions. I'm going to give you a scenario and you tell me what Mac Miller song is good for that scenario. Mm -hmm. So what song do you listen to when you just get up in the morning and you got to get going? Hype yourself up. Uh, probably The Spins. That's such a good... I listen to that song when we get ready to go to like family gatherings. I don't know what that says about me, <laughs> but like when it's time to like get up and like drive to wherever, um, that's the song I like to put on to get ready. It was interesting seeing when I was in college that every single party I went to, say it was two a week, every single party played the spins at some point in the party. And it's, I mean, the song must have experienced a huge boost after that. For, <laughs> for me, I chose Dang. 
I actually <laughs> had Dang as my alarm clock, and that was the worst decision ever because once something's your alarm, you do not like it as much anymore. And I'm like, why would I do that to myself with Dang? It's like the best song ever. But still love it to this day, thank God. What song do you play when it's like February, March, but it's a random 60-degree day, 70-degree day where you can actually wear a T-shirt? What song in that nice weather are you going with? Um, Probably Stay. Stay is such a like mm-hmm. soothing, it's nice, It's you're not crying because the planet's dying and it's 60 degrees in January, which it is right <laughs> now in Philly. Yeah. Um, yeah, Stay. Final answer. I got What's the Use. I just love it. It just sounds like happiness. Yes. Totally agree. Uh, what song do you play when the weight of the world is on your back? Uh, 2009. That is, yep. you know, self-explanatory, I think. That's just the one. Yeah, I literally sent a picture of that excerpt to my friend last night, who's another big Mac Miller fan, of how does one freestyle? I'm not even sure if you want to consider it freestyling, but to talk about the book, you he went into a dark room and just did that very quickly. And every single one of his friends cried. How does how does one do that? Just pours out of him. It's just it's just what he could do. It was crazy. I mean, I know that there's artists before and after him that have that ability. I mean, Wayne comes to mind. It's just like mm-hmm. it fountains out of Wayne. Like, oh my God, how is this man doing this? But it's still amazing. It's just like so poetic. I don't even know how one would do that. For me, I wrote So It Goes. That's one of my favorite one. songs ever. Yeah. And what song do you play when you are feeling nostalgic? Nostalgic. Oh, my goodness. Um, nostalgic for what? Now I'm asking you a question. I'm sorry. Okay, sending it back. How about nostalgia towards earlier Mac Miller music? What is the one that sticks out to you? You kind of already mentioned the spins, but is there another one that's... Yeah, Oy vey. I love that song. That's such a... It's just like the fun he's having when he's mm-hmm. when he says like holy cow and then like his voice really drops and he says oh my god. Like yeah. that that kind of joyfulness and just like the little ways he played on a track. I really love that. For me it's <clears throat> Senior Skip Day as I mentioned before. Just what a great song him talking about getting a bagel. I'm like I'm doing that. I'm getting a bagel <laughs> right now. Lastly, what is your favorite Mac Miller beat? It's got to be Gotta be Diablo, right? It's something on faces. I think that's it has um, to be. Maybe I don't know. Inside, outside. Oh, that's tough. I feel like it is on faces. But my favorite beat. Oh no. Insomniac. I'm just gonna go with Insomniac. what's right. Insomniac is the right answer. I was just playing that at the gym. Shot the Rick Ross. My favorite beat it has so Diablo is the second song I ever made was over the Diablo beat when I was a junior in high school. It is not a good song. It is still on SoundCloud. But what a beat. Um, or new, new Faces or Rain. One of those yeah. three. Oh, yeah, that, so crazy. that tape is crazy. That's like one of the best things I've ever heard in my life. It's, it inspired The ad-libs on that album inspired my entire style of wanting to do ad-libs. They're just so funny. Like, I don't know, him being like, Dylan's grape juice or... You piece of shit. That's a bar. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Do you have any favorite, I love that. Do you have any favorite ad-libs from him? He's got a lot of funny ones. Oh, my goodness. That's a great question. No one's ever asked me that. Um, so let me get my line on. 
I like that one. Um, that's a great one. I'm trying to think of what's the ad lib on polo jeans. Um, let me think. It's so uh, close. I can feel it. I can yeah. feel the answer. It's whatever happens on polo jeans is my answer to that question. But I like when he says, uh, "Kill me now." If I did it all for hip hop, and you're like, whoop, 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 bow, "Yes," and he gets hit. Yes. Yeah, Love that's that a great one. one too. So to get into the writing of this. You talked to so many of his close family members, his friends. It was really interesting because I hear all these names that were mentioned in Mac albums, but I never knew who they were. So he talks about like nerding out with Josh Berg, and I never knew who that was when he mentioned Josh Berg and then reading the book. You're like, oh, that was like his best friend collaborator. Mm. What were some of your favorite stories that you heard throughout your interview process? Yeah, I think um, my gut reaction is always the story Germ told me about Mac bringing um, curiously obtained electronics to trade for uh, studio time. I love that story yeah. for two reasons. One, that's such like a like teenager thing to do. It's like, here's mm -hmm. the CD player. What can I get for this? <laughs> but um, secondly, it just kind of shows that he loved, he wanted to be in the studio. He loved recording. He loved making art. And so that is really awesome. Um, other stories, the 2009 story, of course, is amazing. Just everyone crying when they heard it after he just mm -hmm. in, quickly in darkness made it. Um, that one I love. I'm trying to think something that I haven't really thought about in a while. Um, it's hard to say because, you know, I think that really it's the intangibles of the interviews. It's like when I could hear them or see them get emotional yeah. And you, you like feel not like you feel Mac's presence in the room in that in that way, but you feel like his impact on this person. And that mm -hmm. is maybe my favorite. So that's not exactly a story, but just knowing that like yeah. he's felt and that is really yeah. so special. I really liked Sid just talking about at the end of the book how he was just talking to Sid's mom in the kitchen. And that kind of just showed like a different level of friendship when you're someone because sometimes you think of these artists that they're collaborators but like talking to someone's mom and having a relationship mm -hmm. is like a different level or Kalani and him being like you should name your son Malcolm and him being like so happy for her I think those are the really like touching moments where you're like oh he just seems like he was just the best guy yeah absolutely those are great I think like that's kind of what I'm trying to get at is like he was such mm -hmm. a person and I think it's so easy when an artist reaches like iconoclast status and has like 20 million streams on Spotify every month or whatever. And you're like, oh, this is just like a little square box in my phone that I press when I'm sad or happy. But it's like, this was a human being and he meant so much to people. And yes, all those people are musicians, but they're also human beings. And that is so mm -hmm. critical to remember. And I know that you were invited to the First Circle's listening party. And mm -hmm. I would love to hear more about that. I think that has entered my top four Mac albums. It's actually... It reminds me so much of my freshman year of college that I can't even listen to it because I like smell my dorm room. I can see everything around it. And besides for Blue World, it's actually hard for me to get myself to listen to it at this moment. But tell me about the listening party. I know it was a really emotional experience because everyone was hearing that good news starts and you're like, oh, damn. Yeah, yeah. It was one of the most important things that I've done in my life, I think. Like, I was so honored to be able to go. Um, it was like kind of the who's who of like journalists and like a couple of people in the inner sanctum of Malcolm's creative life. And 
It was very emotional. I had in one hand a cup of white wine, um, and then in the other hand I had my phone, and I was trying to take notes. Then we put – oh, no, I didn't have my phone. We put our phones away. So I had nothing to take notes with. So I guess this mm-hmm. hand was just, like, freaking out. Um, <laughs> and then the music starts, and it's all going, and you just cry. I just cried, and then um, Nick was there. And he was introducing me to people and we were hugging and crying. And it was just like, I was so red in the face and I was meeting Clancy for the first time in person and I was just crying. And it was like, I remember um, Nick described Year of Mac to Clancy and Clancy looks at me and goes, you're hardcore. And I was like, yeah, (laughs) (laughs) thank you. I know. So it was great. It was, it was really emotional, Um, but it was so rewarding. And I think that like, I don't really know if closure exists, but in some ways it felt like the start of like letting go of grief or like learning to uh-huh. live with grief in a better way. So Yeah, I feel like it's unanimously talked about as probably the best posthumous album and best handled by the family. They did such a great job. Do you remember what song on first listen at that party stuck out to you? I feel like for me it was Blue Worlds. I'm like, what what this sample is crazy. Cause I've heard that sample when I was studying the jazz music. And I'm like, how does one even think of that? Yeah, yeah. I don't think it was a song I think it was um it was the humming this is such a weird I have an Mm -hmm. article about black humming um from like a billion years ago when East Atlanta Love Letter came out and so I'm like really attached to when artists just like vocalize without words yeah and so it was just like the hums on the album and just like hearing Mac in the room that was really emotional and really moving um, good news is one of the best songs ever. Um, perfect. It's hard to say. It probably is good news because I, I had heard it before the listening, mm-hmm. and so I I could like there was that familiarity with it. Yeah. I feel like "Hand Me Downs" made me cry the first time I heard it, and "Surf" as well. It's one of my favorites yeah. ever. I danced to "Surf" at my wedding. Wow, that's amazing. Hopefully, my future wife will accept it because I'm gonna make her. It's going to be something. Mac Miller will be played. I told my parents that. I'm like, it's not what you want to be played at my my wedding. (laughs) But I think one of the really cool parts, because from a civilian point of view, you think that an artist just makes the album how the album is. Maybe there's a couple throwaways. But the cool part about hearing you talk about swimming in circles was that they had all these songs from like years previous, and they were kind of just bulletin boarding, like trying out which songs sound best together. What was like your research process like what was your reaction hearing that like oh this was going to be on swimming originally but then they're like ah it doesn't work like they wanted hurt was it hurt feelings or self-care someone Mm -hmm. was like do not put that on the album it doesn't work and now it's like the biggest song in the album yeah I think stuff like that is that those little tidbits of history are always so interesting to me because it's like I only get the album at the end right like I'm a listener and I get Mm -hmm. songs one to 12 or whatever right maybe now Mm -hmm. on streaming it's like songs one to 50 but that's all I understand and so to get the behind the scenes look of like oh no there is all of this other stuff that goes into it and knowing that these albums were made in tandem it's so interesting because it's like I'll never know the true machinations of what makes a song a swimming song and what makes Mm -hmm. a song a circle song. And I've tried to like think about it, but I do think that beyond like the texture of the songs, like lyrically, they're really helix up. They're just like, 
symbiotic in a way. So mm-hmm. it's it's really it's really cool just to like hear that oh this needed to be here, this was split in half, this goes here. Like that stuff is so interesting. Like the post production of a record is just as interesting to me as like when you're in the dungeon in the basement or wherever, mm-hmm. like in the sanctuary recording nonstop. Yeah. I mean, looking back on it, it they seems like they picked perfectly. Every song that's on yeah. swimming sounds like it should be on swimming, and every song on circles sounds like it should have been on circles. So shout out to John Bryan and the family for deciding that. Because I can't even imagine how you pick and scrap a song that's probably like the best song. It could be someone's favorite Mac Miller song, and they're like, I just don't know if it fits there. Yeah, I think about that with a ton of artists too, of like especially prolific ones. It's like, how do you know what has to stay in the vault? Like what goes in the archive and what, like, what about when do you bring it out of the archive? Like that whole process. So interesting to me. Cause I, I, you know, I shoot film photography cause of course I do. And <laughs> sometimes I'll go through my archive in the morning of like old film. And I'm like, why didn't I like this photo three years ago? And so I imagine yeah. it's similar to music where it's like you open up an old hard drive and you're like, Oh wow, this yeah. is a banger. Well, it was cool. It was cool hearing him talk about how some of the music was from years before. And at some point, it was so easy to make Swimming compared to the other albums that he was like, I think I need to add more. And they're like, you don't. You made the perfect song. Because it gets to a point when you work so hard and it's game time, you just perform to the highest level. Yeah, totally agree. So I have a question for you. I'm not sure if you know this information or can give this information, but there's currently two albums that are teased that could come out as Mac Miller albums. There's, of course, the MacLib album, the collab, collab album with one of the goats, Madlib. And then there's also this album they've talked about how Programs was originally a single for an all-rap album that was supposed to be a trilogy with Swimming in Circles. What do you know about either of those projects? Literally nothing. Damn it. So, I'm sorry. <laughs> I wish... And, you know, even if I did know something, I probably would not probably be at liberty to say, it. but no, I know nothing. It's just like you tr- I trust the family so much that if MacLib comes out, it means that it, they, they knew it should come out and it's going to be amazing. And I really hope one day we get that. I now want to switch to something that's – representation is so important and it's like so cute on TikTok. You see like a little girl seeing a cartoon character that resembles her and she's so excited to see that. And similarly, we get that in music and in hip-hop, me and you are both Jewish and for something that was like Drake going on SNL and doing a monologue where it's his bar mitzvah, it's really funny. But also it was so cool to me being like, oh, he's like proud enough to do that on live TV that he was Jewish. And you talk a lot in your book about Mac and his connection to Judaism and your connection to it. Tell me about the process of going through that. Yeah, that's a great question. I think, you know, like you have the Beastie Boys and you're like, I like the mm-hmm. Beastie Boys. But the Beastie Boys don't really speak to me right now in my life when I, like, first discovered Mac. I was listening to the Beastie Boys, but it wasn't like, you know, they – it was not the same. It was awesome, but it was not the same. And so I think that reaction you described of, like, oh, uh, he has a bagel. I'm having a bagel. We're the same. (laughs) I think, like, little things like that and that kind of small, subtle notes of him being Jewish in his music – those I really appreciated because that is sweet and that is, you know, that does matter and it does make a difference when you can see yourself on like a more heritage level than just like, oh, you know, I can do it too. Yeah, 
to me, the best part of hip hop that I think it's made me a better person completely because it's all about storytelling and you hearing about different people's backgrounds. And for me, like say, I think To Pimp a Butterfly is like the best album ever. That album wasn't made for me in mind, but it's made me be a more empathetic person because I'm hearing about someone talking about the struggles they go through day to day and throughout history. But on the other hand, it's so cool to hear an artist talk about the things that I go through. And that doesn't always happen <clears throat> in hip hop, but seeing someone like him or like Action Bronson talking about all these sports things, because that's what me and my friends talk about. And I don't know, it just makes me happy. Like I tell my mom, I'm like, Mac was Jewish. She's like, what? That makes her <laughs> like him to a whole nother level now. Yeah, that's my, my mother-in-law has uh, circles on vinyl. And wow. she's, she's, uh, she used to be a Hebrew school teacher. And a nurse. She's very talented at everything she does. She's very cool. She's also a professional organizer. Shout out her. Hey. Uh, shout out Tuesdays with Toomey. Very powerful. Get Toomey out of office. Awesome. <laughs> um, she loves that Mac is Jewish because it's so important to her identity. And so, you know, she's this older woman and she loves his music. And it's it's partly because of me and she loves me yeah. and she supports me but like she has a genuine love and interest for his music and that i think is awesome yeah if i play the npr tiny desk my mom's like oh my god my favorite but like she didn't know who it was before <laughs> but hey now we That's now awesome. we got we got rochelle on board so as we do on this podcast we like to do a playlist title of the week to way to spotlight an artist that we are liking and also kind of describe how we're feeling this week so donna what song is highlighting the playlist this week i think um Probably I-91 Corridor by DJ Lucas. He is the best. Dark World Records is the best. DJ Lucas is best rapper and final answer. Okay. I'm going to I'm gonna have to tune into that one. For me, I'm going to go with a friend of the show, Reed Starks, his new song Starkfield featuring Savvy McFly. It, I think you'd actually really like this. It's hard as hell. Um, nice little beat change in it. And it, it's just amazing. So anyone listening, go bump Reed Starks. So this year, so far, we've had a pretty good January of music. Honestly, it already seems like we're getting off to a 10 times better start than the mainstream was in 2023. Have you listened to the music that came out last night yet? No. Um, it's like, I'll open up, you know, streaming and I'll take a look at everything that's come out for the day. And I'm like, why do that when I can listen incessantly yeah. to the things I already know I like? And I know that makes me a really bad uh, music writer. But, you know, <laughs> over the course of the weekend, my wife and I love to, like, cook and bake. And so that's yeah. usually when the new music gets played. And that's, like, the barometer for me of will this album last is if I enjoy, like, like I wrote about um, the new Bruiser Wolf album. Uh-huh. And I wrote that after folding 96 wontons with my wife. <laughs> and so, like, if you can, if your music can power me through, and, like, we've made, like, 70 Crab Rangoon, and, like, if you can power me yeah. through, like, little stuff like that, then definitely A+. But I'm very curious about the Benny album. I saw a couple of good features. Uh, Thomas it's Hobbs good. has a good feature in Stereo Gum out today, I think, when we're recording this. So go read that. Um, but yeah, I'm very curious about the Benny album because it's like on Def Jam, but it's Benny. So I'm like, how do these two worlds make yeah. sense? Do they make sense? I'm very curious about it. Um, I did listen to it. I think it's really good. I don't think it's anything different, like more special than the previous albums. It's good Alchemist beats. It's good. You know what? You know it's coming from a Griselda album. 
I honestly didn't fall in love with the Griselda Express track because I'm always looking forward to a Conway West Side Gun bending track. It was fine. It wasn't their best pairing. But it, it was good. Ice Spice, I wonder what your opinion about this is. I'm all for having fun in hip-hop, obviously. And we have a rapper named Lil Dicky who's dropping an album named Penith. Like, it's that happens. But <laughs> Ice Spice just released a song called um, Thank You The Shit, parentheses, Fart. How, <laughs> how do you feel about that? <laughs> I haven't heard it, so I don't I don't know how I feel about the the piece of music. I think Ice Spice as an entity is awesome. Um I love pretty much everything she drops, like at least a little bit, because her personality and her attentiveness to who she is is really nice. Um I had a interview in some magazine maybe the washington post oh now i'm gonna feel really <laughs> bad about myself because i can't remember but we talked about ice spice and i was like she's kind of like the response to what happens when you're in lockdown you don't know what to do um and like all these internet scenes were coming up and she's like just so of where she's from and she's yeah. so herself and it's so regional and i think that is awesome so Ice Spice gets a thumbs up from me. That song, no idea. No clue what's going on there. I, th- I think she's really good. Like she makes very fun music. But I think including fart in the title, like she's really good at marketing too. I think that was just a step too much in the comedy direction. And I don't think she wants to fully be like a little dicky type rapper. Yeah. Like she wants to be I a mean, fun they're... rapper, but that was like a little too much on the funny side than the music side. It's like when a... Uh... Like Wendy's tweets like it's a person. Yeah, you're like, right. no, you're just Wendy's. Yeah, <laughs> it's funny. The Axe, the Axe body account has a lot of great hip hop takes. They're on like they're, whoever the admin is like really loves underground hip hop, and he's all over. That's really interesting how brands have started doing that. And yeah, Nutter Butter brand has marketing a, is crazy. Nutter Butter is a freak on Twitter. <laughs> he's he's nasty. Have have there been any other albums of 2023 that or 2024? Damn, that have sparked your interest. I really liked the Boldy James project. That one did it for me. Yeah, Boldy, Bruiser Wolf, and then so last year my number one listened to album was uh, Carol G's album. This okay. year I'm probably going to be the Caliucci's album. That's just like my favorite thing to cook to and clean to and bake to and just like. I'm having a drink and just talking with my wife. Like that album goes on. She loves Callie. She loves Carol G. You know, and my wife is so interesting because she's not like a music head, but she mm-hmm. has music opinions. Like she's alive, yeah. so she likes music. <laughs> um, and she, you know, she comes from like this lineage of like the national and like that whole thing. And so when we when we met, and I was like, "Here's my music," she was like mind blown whole world opened and yeah you know i probably could stand to let her pick the albums more but she doesn't like that when i ask yeah. her what she wants to listen to she's like uh i'm like okay yeah carol g it is my brothers are like you have to stop looking for a girl who likes smino like there's other things that the person can like i'm like i know but if they like smino it's a good sign or if they're if they love jermaine i'm like you love cole but i might be having my expectations too high right now there's Not more. Sure. There's more to a, a successful relationship than if they <laughs> like Smino. <laughs> hey, I'm 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 learning that slowly, slowly. 
Um, also, have you are you a fan of Jordan Ward? That's probably the most talked about artist on this podcast because I'm obsessed with him. His yeah, album I've last heard, year. I've heard a I've heard a bunch of tracks, but not as hip as I should be, I guess. Um, I'm such like a, you know, I have because I'm working on one book. I'm working on a third book now, and so when I'm like in research mode, which I feel like is all the time, unfortunately, I'm mm-hmm. only listening to that and then like what I'm showing my wife. Yeah. So thumbs up to Jordan Ward, but should spend more time with Jordan's music. It's so good. Definitely suggest it. So back to the book of Mac, Craig Jenkins had a quote. I'm not, I don't have the exact quote written down, but he was talking about how it's unfair to go through all of Mac's discography now and read it as some like prophet of a death in the future. Because he does talk about death, but it's not fair to go through and be like, oh, this was like he was all, always talking about it, like it was bound to happen. Mm-hmm. So how did you balance going back through his lyrics and having to dissect his lyrics, but also not reading too much fully into it? Yeah, I think that's always going to be a challenge for me as a writer. And, you know, my uh, my editor, Jacob, shout out Jacob, very talented editor. Um, he is so good about, like, making sure that I never overstep the line between, like, analysis and conjecture. And just having, like, the insight for, like, you know, there were so many hours of interviews that didn't make it into the book. And so having that whole context in my mind of, like, you know, swimming was made during the happiest, healthiest Malcolm. So it's hard to listen to that and then think of it as, like, oh, this is the future of his death. Like, it's hard for me to, to do that. But definitely I understand. I think people do that because they want to feel better. Because, like, a sudden loss is so unexplainable and it feels mm-hmm. so unfathomable. So they're like, oh, well, maybe if I could just make this mean something in the lyrics, then I can feel a little better about how sudden the grief is. Yeah, I think that swimming is such an interesting point because it does – if you never read your book or knew much about Mac's life, but you knew about the stuff that was in TMZ, you'd be like, oh, like this was going to happen no matter what. But then you read the book and you find out that that was the healthiest he's ever been. He was going to the gym and this was just like – just a screw up like it really just yeah. sucked and i don't know it's sad for people to have a this opinion of him and when they read the book they'll find out that this was like the best dude ever yes absolutely so let's go and talk about your new book you're writing the book of emo rap i'm curious where that starts in like the history of hip-hop like who are the people that are focused on because my first thought is like uh, Lil Peep and like those type of artists that were emo rap, but I'm not sure is someone like Kid Cudi considered emo rap, like an OG Kid Cudi. But yeah, tell me more yeah. about the book. Yeah, so Cry Baby, um, coming out this year. I don't have a date yet, but when I do, everyone will know about it because I won't shut up. <laughs> um, that it's like interesting because the introduction I start with the song The Message, and then I talk about Ghetto Boys, and then I talk about Atmosphere. And I talk about Cuddy, of course. I talk about Wayne. I talk about Young Lean. Like, I don't want to give the whole yeah. table of contents away. But I think that, like, it it posits that all rap is emotional. And so it's, like, it doesn't approach it from this perspective that, like, there's no emotion in hip-hop because that's crazy town. Mm-hmm. But there is, like, this tonality to emo rap that when you you hear it, you you understand, like, this is an emo rap song and this is something else. So while I don't think that, like, The Message is an emo rap song, I do think that it foregrounds what emo rap becomes in the same way that, like, Mind Plan Tricks on Me foregrounds 
mm-hmm. what emo rap becomes. And then, like, Cuddy always talks about how Ghetto Boys inspired him to make Day and Night. So mm-hmm. the connections I mean, are there. I feel like Soundtrack to My Life was one of the – probably my first favorite song ever. I mean, it's just the, it's just the best song then. For some reason, Ghost came into my – into my playlist way later after first hearing Man in the Moon 2, but Ghost is one of my favorite songs ever. But what prompted you to pick this as the next venture for Um, I had a dream about it. It's how okay. I ha- write everything. It's actually how I um, make most of my decisions is if I dream about them, I just do it. That's how I buy cameras too. It's not great. It's actually really <laughs> frustrating because I like can't stop thinking about it. And then I buy a camera and my wife's like, what's that? Yeah. And I'm like, don't, don't worry. But I sell cameras that I don't use, so it's like one in, one out. But anyway, yeah, I had a dream um, while we were printing Book of Mac. I had a dream that I um, was writing something called Cry Baby. And so I started ideating and working on it. And then in September of 2021, we were in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, which is where my sister-in-law lives. And our birthdays are six days apart. So we would celebrate our birthdays together. And so I was up in the guest room and I just started writing and the first sentence I wrote was I don't think you need to be depressed to like Lil Peep and I was like that can't go into a published piece of writing but that's an interesting idea and then I just kept (laughs) thank you I just kept going (laughs) and going and and writing and I had like 15,000 words of like largely unpublishable material and then my agent and I were talking and I was like I think I know what the next book has to be um and then by April of 2022, 2022, I had uh, gotten the, the second contract from my publisher. So Jacob called it a quirky one. Thank you, Jacob. Um, <laughs> but he's he's such a star. He, he really is the kind of editor I wish that everyone had access to. He does so much contending with the text and making it the best it can be. It's not just like a line edit, even though sometimes he does this one thing that makes me want to die, which is he highlights <laughs> if I use a word. A couple times in a paragraph, he'll just highlight all of them, and then no comment. He'll just like leave it highlighted, and I'm like, okay, yeah, <laughs> I got you, buddy. I'll take care that's, of that. Don't you worry. That's so funny. And the really cool part about music is that you do like what you said about Lil Peep. You don't need to be depressed to listen to Lil Peep. It is interesting that we listen to music even if we don't necessarily have been through that emotion. For example, I've never been in romantic love before, and it's really exciting for me because I do listen to love songs and I like love songs. But it's exciting to think in the future when I am in love that these songs are going to completely unlock something different in my head and will mean something so much different to me. Same thing with a song about loss. If you never lost someone, it's a really nice, beautiful song. But then you lose someone and you're like, whoa, this is just cracking something way different in my head. It's so true. I think that the best music takes your brain and cracks it open like an egg into a frying pan. Therapy does that too. But, you know, (laughs) one is more accessible and cheaper, but, you know... Everyone should go to therapy if you're yeah. able. Shout out to my therapist, Bernie, the goat. We all listen to music in a different way. And it's interesting that some people focus on the drums. Some people focus on the lyrics. Some people focus on the ad-libs and melody. What do you focus on on your maybe first listen? Um, if, the, if the completed work makes sense as like a body of work. So mm-hmm. I don't listen to playlists. I'm totally a Luddite. Um, I don't, I've never like sat down and made a party playlist. Like I listen to albums and if people come over, I'm like, these are the albums I will play and this is the order I will play them in. Maybe that's kind of a playlist, but anyway, so it's like, does the sequencing make sense? Like Uh 
does it make sense that track three sounds like this and then track seven is like this? Like, those are the things I'm thinking about. It's a lost art of sequencing albums, especially since if you're an independent artist, you kind of have to put your big songs at first because you got to keep people locked in. But it's interesting, like a song like Insomniac doesn't really fit musically, I feel like, faces as well because it kind of just random trap beat in the middle. What's your opinion on that? Hmm. I think it's different because Faces is a mixtape, and I know yeah. that's such a cop-out answer, but in my no, mind, if you're telling me this is a mixtape, I have different expectations and understanding of what's going on versus, like, this is a capital A album. And yeah. I do think that Malcolm made capital A albums uh, for a majority of his career. Obviously, you know, the older stuff, Class Clown, that was not a capital A album. Yeah. That was a mixtape, but mm-hmm. I think... That would be my answer to that, but it does stick out. It totally sticks out like a sore thumb, but I love that song anyway. Yeah. Nah, it's rowdy. Rick Ross rock, walking around naked with his, with his chopper. It's the way. So now my next question is about the current state of journalism because in the past week, we have seen Sports Illustrated lay off people. We have seen Pitchfork lay off people. I saw the LA Times, and I'm sure there's way more. What, is, what are your thought process on the current state of journalism and what does journalism mean to you and having like these foundational websites and physical products that are so important but now are kind of dying away? Yeah, I mean, it's incredibly sad that like tech ghouls absorbed everything that is important, disregarded the worker, and then threw them all away because they didn't see the profits that they wanted or they weren't creative enough in how they monetize things. I think the whole... Um, monetization strategy for digital media is dead. I think that the ad market died and is never coming back. And instead of doing anything to protect the worker, we have just thrown the worker away. Mm -hmm. And I don't know what the answer is. I am not a business person. Uh, Maybe that's a good thing because I could think of a more creative answer than laying (laughs) off what gives my website value or my paper value, et cetera. Um, But it just sucks, man. And it sucks because, like, I have young writers who email me and they're like, I want to write. I'm like, that's beautiful. (laughs) And I don't know (laughs) what to tell them. And I don't want to be defeatist at all because I think that when you lose hope, the ghouls win. I think I tweeted something to that effect Mm -hmm. uh, earlier this week. But I think it's so hard because it's like you have to have incredible privilege to be able to start in freelance writing now. Um, and if you don't have that, like you won't be paid what you're worth and that's really hard. And I, I don't know how to steer someone. I can tell someone a hundred times what makes their writing good or bad. I can give them an edit, but the, the machinations of the business, that's so hard to tell someone like, yeah, this is good. But then like kind of every industry's crumbling. I saw almost 2000 yeah. people were laid off at Microsoft and it's like, yeah, it just sucks. It just sucks. Um, I wish that it were better. That's kind of the short answer. I wish it was better. Yeah, Spotify laid off people. As someone who's currently on their first career search for some in the music industry, it has been a bitch. (laughs) (laughs) To put it simply, it has not been the most fun process. But like for me, I mean, growing up, Sports Illustrated was such an important thing. Like seeing your team on Sports Illustrated at the, the library was the coolest thing. And then I mentioned in college, I would just be reading DJ Booth and Complex articles. Like something I think really cool that Complex does is the um, hip hop, like the rapper of the year award, because I mm-hmm. think it's such a good part of history. It's hard to go back and maybe some of their 90s stuff's wrong because they're doing it 20 years later. But I think it's such a good mark in history because 
know, they chose DaBaby as the best rapper. And you might forget that there was a time when DaBaby was the biggest artist for a whole year. And there was a time where Lil Baby was the biggest artist of the year. And like those types of things, I think they're so important for history to like have that documented. Yeah, I'm such a believer in the archive. And to bring it back to Crybaby, I end the whole book with this long, long chapter about an artist and the question of the archive and what do we do? And like, how do we keep things alive? That's why I think fan pages are so interesting because like they serve as archivists and they're like cataloging leaks and Lucy's and collabs and they're keeping them in these beautifully maintained drives and sharing them with new fans and old fans. And that is so, so interesting because that's like this crazy unpaid labor that people are doing because they love the artist. Yeah. And I talk about that a lot in the book of like, that's a big part of what makes music in the 2020s so interesting. Cause that's not unique to emo rap. I mean, there are fan mm-hmm. pages for every iconoclast artist, but it is really interesting how fan pages you'd think would to catalog music. It feels like more of a phenomenon for an artist who's passed, but the way that like, Bones fans treat Team Sesh's work is very interesting because they act like it's Bones has passed, but he's alive and well in like 97 albums deep, um, which is beautiful. But they catalog the work as if he were no longer here. And I think that relationship is so interesting. Mm -hmm. The big part of the book is about that too. Yeah, if I could, there's certain days of Twitter, I wish I could go back and see everyone's initial reaction if I could go back to the day Revenge of the Dreamers came out and everyone reacting like, is that Kendrick Kendrick on the chorus of the first song? Like, why is he not featured? And there's all these moments of like first reactions to albums that I would love to see. I don't know, the, I'm such a J. Cole fan. It's like the off-season reaction or the reaction to when Swimming was first released. I specifically remember that night because Travis came out first and being with my friends and hearing Sicko Mode and they were like, did you turn the song off? I'm like, this is the same song. I don't know what happened to the beat. And having having those memories was so important. But yeah, it's so important to have these moments in history documented because it's so fun going back and seeing what people were thinking. Yeah, absolutely. So I want to give you a spot to tell me and tell the crowd, everyone watching, what Donna has coming. I know you have the book, but where everyone can find you on social media. And yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so you can find me on Twitter or X, whatever it's called, at Donna C. Writes, like the verb, Uh writing a third book now sorry to my publisher um (laughs) who isn't even i think seen it yet but he will soon um and i'm also writing a novel i don't know i don't know maybe that'll never see the light of day but i am writing a novel uh which i think is just a weird rite of passage um but i like it so that's nice um i can't tell you what my third book's about yet but hopefully in three to four years, uh, you can just buy it. Um, and then, of course, Crybaby's coming out this year. I'm really proud of that mm-hmm. book. It's 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 not like Book of Mac. I mean, and I have to say that because Book of Mac will only ever happen once, right? And mm-hmm. that is such a piece of me. But Crybaby is, is different, but still me, still writing. And hopefully it means something to people who are fans of those artists. And hopefully they understand what i'm getting at and like all the ideas that i have and hopefully they appreciate the analysis so that's my spiel yeah well donna thank you so much for coming on the podcast everyone actually please go buy this book it is so good it'll make you cry laugh remember the greatest artists of all time 
And if you made it all the way through the show, please like, subscribe. Um, I'm Adam Dash on Twitter, D-A-S-H, not the hyphen. 